If you want a great conversation with a Philadelphia sports figure you should know more about, listen to one-on-one with Matt Leon on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio in depth. I'm Matt Leon. A change at the top in British politics as Prime Minister Boris Johnson has announced he intends to resign his post. We wanted to talk about this shakeup across the pond, why it is happening, and what could be next for America's closest ally. Our guest is Dr. Joshua Weikert, Associate Professor of Politics and Chair of the Department of Civic Engagement at Immaculata University. I'd like to start, just kind of give us a primer of the British political system. What do they utilize? It's a lot different than what we're used to here in the U.S. It is. It might superficially look pretty similar in that they have a legislature and they have a chief executive and they have a judiciary, but their system of of choosing leaders is very different. Almost everything runs through the British Parliament, which is a two-chamber body with the House of Commons and the House of Lords. They're kind of roughly analogous to the U.S. House of Representatives and Senate. Um, But most of the real action is in the House of Commons. So you have 650 elected members of parliament. Um, They are elected from individual constituencies like our house districts. But once elected, they are sort of much more powerful as a body than the U.S. House of Representatives is. Um, Effectively, they choose the chief executive, the prime minister, whereas we elect our president separately from, from the Congress. And not only that, almost everything is done through a parliamentary party. And so the party that's in the majority in the U.K. is not only running the legislature, they are also choosing the chief executive. So this would be the equivalent of electing the U.S. House of Representatives and then having them choose the president, which makes it um, a much more elite process. And I don't mean that it caters to fancy interests, but that there's just fewer people involved in the selection process overall. Now, that matters a lot less when there's a general election in the U.K., because generally speaking, the party leader is clearly visible and identified. So people know who they're voting for to be prime minister when they cast their vote for their member of parliament. But it's, it's a very different process uh, facing what we face right now, where there's a, a potential vacancy in the prime minister's office. So Boris Johnson, who is the prime minister, has announced that he is going to be stepping down. It seems very unclear to me, and I think it, it's probably unclear to everyone what exactly this timetable is going to look like, because it's an incredibly fluid situation. What kind of led us to this moment? It seems to me, as just a casual observer of British politics, when I say casual, I mean casual, it wasn't really one thing. It feels like it's been a bunch of things that have kind of piled on top of each other. Am I being accurate there? Yes, you, you're absolutely accurate. It should be noted right out of the gate, Boris Johnson has never been all that popular. He was elected uh, by the party to replace Theresa May when she left office over essentially an inability to get Brexit done. You know, he's he's modestly popular with some of the some of his party's caucus in parliament, and he's kind of popular with conservatives in the electorate, but he's never been anybody's favorite candidate for for office. He's just been a highly visible candidate who represents sort of the policy direction that the Conservative Party was going in. And so he ends up as prime minister. If you look at his job approval, He's been underwater pretty much the entire time he's been prime minister for like the last three years, with two very notable exceptions. One, right around the time COVID kicks off and you have sort of a rally around the flag effect and, you know, his approval spikes up to about 70 percent. 
but then rapidly falls back down again. And then around the time uh, like vaccines are starting to roll out, he, he, he barely gets back to even par at that point. But almost for the entire rest of his time as prime minister, he's been underwater by 20 points. He's now underwater by like 50 points. And as you mentioned, it wasn't one thing. It's a bunch of things, and some are significant, and some are, I, I don't want to say insignificant, but more symbolic or just sort of optics. But between, you know, flouting COVID rules and having a party at 10 Downing Street, and what, what really touched this off was um, essentially a sex scandal involving one of his senior uh, party figures. And he had promoted this person, despite knowing that this person had a history of sexual harassment and sexual assault. And then there was another incident. So it wasn't any one particular thing. It was just sort of this building collection of things. You know, in the U.S., if the Department of Education secretary resigns and the Treasury secretary resigns, its news could be scandalous, but doesn't necessarily topple a leader. Why was this so significant? All these people, dozens of people resigning their posts. It's significant because the British system relies very much on trust. And that sounds sort of like arcane and, you know, and I don't want to say you know, naive to us, but like it's, it's, it's a simple fact. And the prime minister only gets to say prime minister if a majority of parliament wants them to stay in that office. So what these resignations of members of the government, who are also members of parliament, by the way, what these ministerial resignations signal is a loss of trust and a loss of confidence in the person holding the job. You know, when it's a high profile, when it's a relatively low profile, some junior minister in the home office resigns, like people talk about it. But that person, when we say they resign, they're just resigning from the government. They're still a member of parliament. So this isn't as dramatic as it sounds. But when it's a high profile figure like, you know, you know, the chancellor of the exchequer, who's their, their treasury secretary, it's generally considered the second most powerful person in the government. When that person resigns, that, that is now a very loud signal to the rest of the party that, you know, senior figures of the party are abandoning Johnson. And that touches off this big wave of resignations. And he starts to get afraid that he won't survive a vote of no confidence. So he voluntarily resigns. He, he's going to resign when they replace him. At least that's his plan. I'm not sure that's sustainable because even, even that plan is not very popular with the members of his party because that, it's going to take months until they appoint a replacement. British politics have seen, I don't know if unstable is the word, but kind of all over the place. For several years now, you mentioned, you know, Boris Johnson took over for Theresa May, who stepped in for David Cameron. You've had all this movement, but it's all the conservative side, the Tories, if I'm, if I'm correct. This is not like going back and forth like we would be used to Republicans, Democrats. And this will continue to be a conservative government with a, just a, a different person at the top whenever that is decided. Is there a way the labor, which would be the more closer aligned with the Democratic Party. Is there any way they can take advantage of this? Or is this strictly a conservative game until the next general election? It's probably just an inside party game for the conservatives until the next general election. The reason being, elections in the UK don't happen on a fixed date or time frame. Essentially, there must be a general election every five years, but the government can call or parliament can call a general election kind of anytime they want in that five-year window. And typically what will happen is that the majority party calls it at a time they think they're going to do well. And so, for, and they also call it, just as a matter of fun interest, they also tend to call it when the weather is going to be nice. Because if, you know, it's a sunny, warm day, you're more likely to vote for the party in power. It's just sort of funny how they schedule these things out. So something like this, th there was some talk, well, should there be a general election? And I, I, I think that's extremely unlikely. It takes a two-thirds vote in Parliament to call in, in the House of Commons to call a general election. And the Conservatives have no particular reason to do this. 
they, they would very likely lose seats if they held in a general election right now. So they, they're probably not going to do that. The question is, why has the Labour Party struggled to do well in elections when you know they, they've been running against kind of unpopular people in general? And even now, if you look at uh, polling of sort of like, you know, the generic ballot questions of which party would you support in the next general election, like Labor has a pretty clear advantage, but it seems like they can never kind of close the deal on it. And that's because Labor is also not especially popular as a party. So for as much as people might not like Johnson, they don't like the Labor Party leadership either. By the way, we should also note that in traditional sort of like ideological spectrum terms, the British Conservative Party is very much closer to our center than they are to the right. So the Labour Party is is much much further to the left. In fact, it's with especially with Joe Biden as president, the Democratic Party now more closely reflects the Conservative Party in Britain than it does the Labour Party. Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, he was the mayor of London for several years. It seems like this is a guy. You know, his uh, truth telling has been called into question, shall we say? But this is nothing. New. It seems like Boris Johnson, if you kind of read some deep dives and you go back and read some articles like I have, he's been the same guy. It's just whether people wanted to start to believe it or think that it mattered. Yeah, he's always had a credibility gap problem. He has exaggerated. He, he It is rare to see him outright lying, but it is very common to see him engaging in misleading, you know, misdirection and sort of like stretching of the truth. One of the reasons that this particular scandal might have broken him when others didn't is because he was caught in an outright lie. He claimed he had not known about the previous issues with Pincher, who was the individual who was accused. It became clear very quickly that he had known about that when he appointed him to this new position. So it's possible that sort of the, the combination of blatant falsehood and, you know, and official action might have been what finally tipped the scales. It could also be that, uh, you know, the, these are people, the, these people who resigned are also people who have who have designs on becoming prime minister, many of them. And so they have their they have their own self-interest to play into it as well. So it's not so much that they've supported Johnson up till now, but then something broke the camel's back. It might, might have just been they're waiting for the right moment. And uh, they, they sense he's vulnerable, they sense he's weak, they sense he's unpopular, and now's the time. And once that stampede starts, it's really hard to stop it. I went through the, the list of, well, the list of the multiple prime ministers, Theresa May, David Cameron, and this all, all this movement has happened since the vote for Brexit. And does everything we see in British politics now have kind of its origin story in Brexit, in the decision to leave the the European Union, because it seems like a a lot of the uncertainty and the kind of things being all over the place, it kind of goes back to that vote. A lot of it does, and even the things that don't necessarily have their genesis in Brexit are now colored by it. You know, because this is something that touched really almost every facet of British life. It was it's primarily been discussed as a trade phenomenon, but this is affecting, you know, where companies locate or don't locate. And right now, you know, Britain is losing out on a lot of corporate relocation to Ireland because Ireland's still in the EU and Ireland is an English speaking country, an Anglophone country, whereas that, those companies might have preferred to locate in Britain previous to this. You had issues with obviously with students, you know, who had visas to study in the UK. Now, all of a sudden, that's in question. You have issues of, you know, people who work for companies and are, you know, foreign nationals, but, you know, married to or in relationships with with British nationals or, or are, were just living in the UK while they were working and now they're, you know, they need to get special permission to stay there. So Brexit became this all-encompassing thing across a lot of British politics and British, British social life. And you're right that Brexit was driving what led to most of the 
resignations leading up to Boris Johnson because David Cameron, of course, resigns because Brexit vote fails. He came down the side he didn't want to. Uh, May resigns because she can't get the Brexit deal done in a satisfactory way. Johnson it was seen. One of the reasons he was sort of tolerated as prime minister is that he was he was a Brexiteer. Like this was his it, this issue was very much in his wheelhouse. He had ownership of it, and so as a result, people thought, well, let's you know give him a shot. And you know he got Brexit done for lack of a better term. They do have a deal, but it looks very much like the kind of deal everyone warned him they would have to take to deal with the EU and be a member of this economic community. And so now it's like, well, Johnson said we would get a clean break and we'd be, you know, we'd retain all of this great sovereignty that we'd supposedly lost the EU. And it's like, well, now we're just still kind of in the EU because we have to live with all these restrictions on our economy and to deal with it. But we don't get a vote in the EU parliament anymore and we don't get representation on the Council of Ministers and all these things. So it's that we're outside the club, but it's still telling us what to do. So there's some dissatisfaction with Johnson as a result of that. What will be really interesting is how this next prime minister, or maybe whoever follows the next prime minister, how much is their time as prime minister colored by Brexit? Because now it's 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 settled policy. It seems to me one of the things about Brexit was that it was kind of this fantasy land that they could just extract themselves from the European Union and get all the benefits of, of everything and everything would be great with none of the red tape. It's just kind of the idea that this was kind of peddled as a fantasy the whole time, and there is not a reality that's going to match what people have been told about Brexit. Am I correct? That is correct, yes. The drive for Brexit, you know, the Leave campaign, was was predicated on a lot of assumptions about what post-Brexit life would look like and, and the extent to which Britain could survive as this, you know, outsider politico-economic entity that is on sort of the periphery of Europe, which, by the way, is not a unique historical position for Britain to take. Like, England has always seen itself as kind of, like, not really European. They think of European as more continental. But in the modern, especially in the modern economic era, you know, countries you know, are that, that are that close to each other are going to trade a lot. And they, they are part of the same living economic entity at that point. And so the notion that Britain could simply remove itself from the EU and not suffer serious setbacks, and then life would just go on as it was, or, or as the Leave campaign was arguing, in fact, will be even better. Do you know how much money we send to the EU every month? We could fund the National Health Service. And these things were never true. And what you end up with is a country that, you know, at the time, there were, you know, economists studied this, what would be the effects of if the Brexit vote is successful and Britain leaves the EU. And pretty much every economic analysis of this was the best case, the absolute best case scenario is that they don't, is that they stay steady, that they don't lose out economically. That's the best case scenario. Most of the models, though, predicted that Britain would, you know, become, you know, sort of a lagging you know, economy relative to its European counterparts, because there's a lot of power in that big economic union in the EU. It makes it a trading block about the size of the United States. And so when you're part of that, it's very useful because you have that, you, you know, you, there's power in numbers there, but standing outside of it, there's no particular incentive for the EU to sort of loop you in on their deals. And it's not like you as a, now a much smaller economic entity can you know, can accomplish as much as you could have as part of that big economic entity. So it, it was always going to cost. Time to take a break. We will have more with Dr. Joshua Weikert right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. And we are back continuing our conversation on British politics with Dr. Joshua Weikert. Getting back to Johnson, one of the things that's interesting, and one of the things that kind of spurred having wanted to have a conversation with you is I see a lot of people on social media. You talk about Boris Johnson was not popular, and a lot of people are spiking the football in this country saying, look, Republicans, 
what happened, you can get rid of an unpopular leader without trying to ransack the capital. I mean, obviously, I understand the sentiment. But once again, as we started this conversation with how different, it's really hard to conflate getting rid of Boris Johnson as it would have been getting rid of Donald Trump. You're just dealing with different circumstances, no? And this is another situation where they sort of look superficially similar because you're like, well, look, Congress has the power of impeachment and removal of the president. So surely they could just remove Donald Trump from office. And it's not as though that much like in the British case, it's not like that overthrows the party control of the government. Like instead of Donald Trump, you just get Mike Pence. The difference between the U.S. and British systems is that whereas the U.K. system, that parliamentary system is elite driven in terms of deciding its leadership in the U.S., we have what is effectively a popular system. Primaries are decided by voters, congressional and senatorial. Well, basically every office is directly elected except for the presidency. And even the presidency has a strong, you know, popular component to it because electoral votes are decided by, you know, mass voting in the states. So if you're going to challenge a senior leader in your own party, you need to be sure that not only do you have the support of the party and government to do that, you also need to be sure that's not going to, you know, murder you with the with the, the rank and file that are going to be voting in elections. So to replace the British prime minister, you need basically half of parliament, so like 300 people, to agree that that person should be removed. That same group, that same elite group of, you know, 300 or so members of parliament will whittle down the candidates to just two. And those two are not even subject to a nationwide popular vote. They're subject to a vote by just the conservative party membership. And in the UK, you basically pay a, a club membership fee to belong to a political party. It's not much. It's like $30. But you pay to belong to the party. And that only represents about like 200,000 people. And that's who's going to vote to decide who the next prime minister of the UK is, which is like some tiny fraction of a percentage of all the voters. Now, compare that to the US, where, you know, you might have as many as 170, 180 million people voting in, a, in an election. It changes the dynamics substantially. So if you have a charismatic leader who is popular with the rank and file of the party at the electoral level, it can be very hard to remove that person. Now, could members of Congress say, I don't care about my career and whether I ever get elected to office again, I'm going to do this anyway? Yeah, they can, but most of them won't. And even those who were very, very critical of Donald Trump in the wake of uh, the January 6 attacks started rolling that back like almost immediately. You know, Kevin McCarthy being the most stag- you know, towering example of someone who was way out there criticizing Donald Trump for January 6th and then you know, going completely the opposite direction in defense of that. So it's just a different dynamic, and it really has to do with the level of decision making. And to wrap up, Boris Johnson says he wants to remain prime minister until a replacement is found. He's talking, I've, you know, it's been bandied about that could be a few months to the fall. Does that seem tenable that it would last that long now? No, it's not impossible, but it doesn't seem tenable simply because Britain is living through the same policy challenges that every country in the world is right now, which is to say inflation and COVID and, you know, a a complex international world. And so there are decisions that need to be taken. There's policy choices that need to be made. And one of the great advantages of the parliamentary system is that it's a very responsive system. You always have unified government because the party in power is always choosing the prime minister. And so there's always that synergy. So what do you do when the prime minister is someone that the party in power has already said they do not trust and don't want making decisions? Like, even if Boris Johnson was of a mind to pursue some kind of like caretaker role and sort of guide Britain through the next few months, all of his decisions and policies, they lack legitimacy because he's already got one foot out the door. And this isn't like an American president who was elected to a four-year term who is serving out the remainder of their term because that's what they were elected to. This is someone who has already effectively resigned. So what, what the members of parliament will probably push for is to have Johnson resign immediately. 
and have the deputy prime minister take over and act as a caretaker until a new prime minister is appointed. That would that at least that's my prediction. Again, it's not impossible they leave him be, but it, it just seems like it seems like a bad poli- it, it seems like a bad choice they don't have to take. They simply can force him from office right now. It's not like if he leaves that nobody's in charge. Is there a person you think will emerge as the next prime minister? Because I, I don't seem to hear like a, one or two names that are rising to the top in the discussions of who could be next. I mean, they, they do poll on this and the polls that you see, like, I don't think anybody has more than like eight or nine or 10 percent support. And and most of the answers are like, don't, like, don't know has the lead right now with like 25 percent when you like sort of poll people on this. There is a, a, a phone directory of names that have been thrown out there as potential prime ministers. And one reason for that is that there is no obvious choice. You you might look at somebody like Rishi Sunak, who was one of the people who resigned that sort of touched off this big wave of resignations that forced Johnson from office and be like, well, look, he's the chancellor of the chancellor of the exchequer. It's a very powerful political post. He's got a lot of experience. But the problem with with Rishi Sunak is that he has some of the same kind of taint on him that Johnson does in that he had some issues with getting fined for violating COVID protocols and things like that. So he might look a little too similar to Johnson to the members of the party. Like if the idea is like, you know, clean break, fresh start. He's not a great pick. You have some people like Liz Truss, who's the foreign secretary, doesn't carry around that kind of baggage. The other major major resignation that touched touched this all off was um, Sajid Javid, who was the former chancellor of the Exchequer and is currently, well, well, till very recently, was minister for health. And he has a good reputation as well. One of the things that sort of stands out to me as a political scientist, especially comparing the British system to our system, is that all of these people are relatively young. They're all in their 40s or 50s, whereas in the U.S. right now, we have almost like a like a like a like a gerontocracy where like, you know, all the party leadership posts are filled with very, people who have been around forever. There's a reasonable argument that the parliamentary system is sort of better at churning out younger, more capable leaders, whereas our system is either about like paying your dues forever and then you finally get to be in charge, which is sort of how the, the Democratic Party works in Congress. Like everything's by seniority or you have a, a bunch of people where like political entrepreneurship is, you know, rewarded like in the Republican Party where you have some like Ted Cruz or Donald Trump who have never held public office can just run for a senior office and win it. And like neither of those is especially desirable. The members of parliament are going to have some internal deliberations. They will narrow it down to a few potential candidates, and then we will start hearing those names leak out as they discuss it. We haven't mentioned the queen once. Does she have any role at all? I mean, formally and legally, she's the one who appoints the prime minister. Essentially, the members of parliament can make a suggestion. That's kind of the only power they have. But under the British constitution, it's the it's the queen who formally appoints the prime minister. And the monarch can reject a prime minister. It hasn't happened recently, but it, it can happen. I think one reason you're not hearing as much about it is because Queen Elizabeth seems to be very much indisposed. And this is fueling more discussion in the British media about whether she should abdicate in favor of Charles, that if she can't complete these like, you know, formal and ritualized elements of her duty as monarch, then then she needs to step aside. The, the monarch is a legitimizing figure in British politics. And so if that's if she's not going to play that role, then she needs to hand off to somebody who can. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio In Depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.